Tua. Fires, touchdown Miami. Waddle snuck into the end zone of Miami. Boy, tight throw, tight window. They had to get that touchdown on that play to get it. What is up, Dolphins, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, we're taking a look at the next team on the schedule, and that next team is the New Orleans Saints in primetime on Monday Night Football. The 7-7 seven and seven Dolphins, the 7-7 seven and seven Saints will go position by position, break down the matchups, the keys, the tendencies, tell you each team's best route to victory, and a whole lot more from somewhere up in the Pacific Northwest. This is... The Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins. Off the top of the show here, we got to go ahead and tell you about Coach Flores' Wednesday media. He announced that Javon Holland has still not cleared the protocols to return from the COVID-19 list. So we'll keep an eye on that going forward. Certainly a big aspect of this game and of this team with Javon Holland's availability. So we'll keep you guys posted on that. Let's go ahead and kick off this portion of the show as we do every single Thursday. And a welcome to the New Orleans Saints, a 7-7 seven and seven team coming off their biggest win of the season in a game that they seem to have figured out the Buccaneers in, in the regular season anyway. So they got that victory. They blanked the Bucs. You can talk about Chris Godwin, Antonio Brown, and Leonard Fournette missing the majority of that game. But that would be disingenuous of the Saints defense and what they are capable of because they can rush the quarterback. They cover it well. They have a traffic cop at the second level that just does not make mistakes. A ball hawk on the back end that can completely change the way a team plays, both from a schematic standpoint as well as handling the emotional battle in terms of the trash talk with Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, the very best in the game, zero cap in that department. But this is a departure of who the Saints normally are, right? You might believe that because of how great Drew Brees was for so long, but he had a pretty damn good defense for the last four years there with that team, and in general, just a loaded roster, and that didn't change overnight. It started, however, back in 2017. How about this for a draft class? Marshawn Lattimore, Ryan Ramchek, Marcus Williams, Alvin Kamara, Alex Anzalone, Trey Hendrickson, Alquadin Muhammad. Those two first-rounders were all pros, So are the first and third third round picks of that group. Marcus Williams, the second round pick, has been a starter since he got there. Anzalone's gone, but he's made a ton of plays in the league. And Muhammad has gone to have a really good career right now with the Indianapolis Colts. And then Hendrickson has gone too, but yeah, 15 and a half sacks a season ago. That set them up for a long time. It's one of the greatest draft classes in NFL history, quite frankly. It made them contenders pretty much every year after that. Playoff runs, playoff wins. Some disappointment to not finish with Lombardi trophies, but all but about three or four franchises, I think, would gladly change places with the Saints over the last half decade, and really, quite frankly, the last decade and a half with Sean Payton and what the the New Orleans Saints have done under his watch. They've done a good job of funneling the offense through the super talented back they have there in Alvin Kamara and typically paired him with a solid Robin to the Batman. And one area that has taken a hit is kind of the skill spots, And that will happen when you lose one of the game's premier receivers 
for back-to-back seasons. So they're a loaded roster. They're down to their starting quarterback, or down to their backup quarterback, I should say, from the beginning of the season with Jameis Winston and Taysom Hill steps in. And that run game provides a solid complement to what that defense can do. They're also loaded on the coaching staff. Sean Payton, the second longest tenured head coach behind Belichick, Pete Carmichael, Dennis Allen, Darren Rizzi. That's a that's a murderer's row of coaches right there. They're going to be ready. Let's go ahead and start at the quarterback position. And just real quick before we do that, a quick news update here before I publish the podcast. Recorded this on Wednesday. It sounds like it's going to be Ian Book, the rookie quarterback, the fourth round draft pick of the New Orleans Saints to start for them on Monday night, his career debut for the Saints. And he was with the Dolphins at the Senior Bowl back in Mobile back in February. He's a good leader, a guy that can command the huddle and really kind of run an offense that way. Has a bunch of mobile skills uh, skills to his skill set. Can throw the football on timing and rhythm as well too. So the Dolphins will have to maintain their rush integrity, their gap integrity when they rush this quarterback because he's mobile, fleet of foot, and can break the pocket that way too. So let's get back to the podcast. It was recorded before the news came out, so just keep that in mind. But there's still some prevalent details within this podcast. Enjoy. With the Saints quarterbacks and Dolphins safeties. And look, we know what we're getting in terms of this player, right? He's a load in the running game. He gives you an extra body to contend with, an extra hat in the running game because the quarterback's factoring into the running game all of a sudden. And he threw the ball 41 times against Dallas in his first start. And since then, it's been 21 and 27 throws. And that's where they want to play when he's in the lineup. Evident by not just this season, but previous starts too. They're one and two in Taysom Hill-led offenses with 30 or more pass attempts and four and oh when it's less than 30. And normally I hate those stats because obviously you run the football more when you're winning the game late and wind the clock down. But I think that's instructive for how the Saints want to play this. And so in regards to slowing him down, I think it starts with the running game. And the key here is to not let him build up steam. Do you guys ever play Mario Kart as a kid? Remember Bowser and Donkey Kong, how they were horrible slow starters, but once they got trucking, they were the fastest car on the track. That's kind of what I see in Taysom Hill. Not that he's slow to start, but once he gets going forward, he is a load and tough to bring down. And we talked about forcing, you know, jet sweeps and outside runs to bubble, backs to change direction before they get to the gap they want because they hit it right away. That obviously creates more yards and more quick decision-making required of your defense. It's the same thing here, a man per gap. And we need a lot of Raekwon Davis stacking things up and Christian stack peak and come off into the correct gap. We need a Landon Roberts to hit those keys like he is one to do and to keep cleaning up on those running plays like he does. So I'm not sure this matchup is much of a Taysom versus the safeties as much as it is a in the box type of game, a bit of a throwback here for the Miami Dolphins. Now, however, it's not like the Saints offense is incapable of throwing the football and one area they have not really had any success in is an area where Miami has typically been pretty stout and that's limiting the big plays. Taysom on 20 plus yard throws this year is three for 13 for a hundred yards and three interceptions on the intermediate throws, 10 to 19 yards, five for 14 for a hundred yards, a touchdown and a pick. I think it tells a bit of a story there. Obviously they play inside of a 10 yard box. Most teams do, but this team really does. And when you watch them on tape, a lot of those big plays are plays where It's either a bust or a created bust based upon their route concept. So you get Taysom getting out of trouble, getting out on the move. And we saw Zach Wilson bounce off some sacks in the game last week. Hill will challenge Miami in the exact same way. You have to tackle. You have to bring him down. Do not give them second and third opportunities to extend plays. 
And I'm curious about the Dolphins' game plan going back to Week 10 against the Baltimore Ravens and Lamar Jackson. They had that one shot to go up top to Sammy Watkins early in the game was unsuccessful and were really never able to get vertical again after that. They also could never really get to the perimeter in that game with the speed outs. We saw Joe Flacco have success. Those are the two areas against zero that you can kind of attack. The, the outside perimeter and the deep shot over the top. You have to be precise. You have to be quick and you cannot make mistakes because that can lead to turnovers if you're not. But we know that game for the Dolphins set all kinds of marks in terms of blitzes, utilizing the safeties in the pass rush game or factor in the running game with Javon Holland and Brandon Jones against the Ravens back in Week 10. So for Holland and Jones, provided Holland plays, the key will be giving Hill different looks in terms of where the rush is coming from, but also taking on the responsibility of a gap in the running game because you have to be aware of both, regardless of where the snap goes. Wildcat to the quarterback, lead, power, draw, like whatever it is, you have to be aware of both elements of the game. And that's a pretty big matchup in this game, how 29-8 and eight, Jones and Holland work to slow down Hill. Some more Taysom Hill numbers against pressure, 10 for 31 for 85 yards. That's 2.7 yards per pass and an interception. That's 45 dropbacks with six sacks and seven scrambles. So force him to stay in and throw the football. It's kind of like what you want to do with Josh Allen. Don't let him get outside the pocket. Force him inside and force him to throw. Now, Allen's an MVP candidate. Different story. Kept clean, 44 for 66 with 564 yards. That's 8.5 yards per pass, but two touchdowns and four picks. When he's blitzed, 14 for 29 for 200 yards. That's 6.9 yards per pass and a pick, no touchdowns. When he's not blitzed, 40 for 68, 449. That's 6.6 yards per pass, two touchdowns and four interceptions. So almost identical to when he's kept clean, right? When you don't blitz him, you keep him clean. But that's 77 dropbacks with three sacks and six scrambles too. So again, regardless of whether or not you blitz or get home, he's going to find ways to escape and make plays outside the pocket. If you can cut that down, you can really limit this Saints offense. Then we go out wide to the perimeter, the Saints receivers and tight ends versus the Dolphins cornerbacks. And we mentioned this off the top. I think every team has that one position where there just aren't a ton of resources poured into it. Like the Dolphins running backs, for instance, seventh round draft picks and undrafted free agents for the most part in that room. And for the Saints, it's the wideouts and the tight ends. And again, they were expecting to have Michael Thomas back. So that is a big factor there. He doesn't return. That's a second round pick, all pro player who's not there. So that caveat has to be said. But that said, they still cultivate some fines. Marquez Callaway, an undrafted free agent, is their target leader. Kamara is next. He would be tops on a per game basis, but he missed four games. Then Deontay Harris, who was suspended for three games and will not play, is also a UDFA. Then it's Traquan Smith, who was drafted in the third round back in 2018. Adam Troutman, tight end, another day two pick. The tight end rounds out the top five before a significant drop in targets to Mark Ingram and Ty Montgomery. So stylistically, what do these guys present? Well, they're only in three receiver sets about half the time. So Miami has to make a decision on how they want to match the many looks the Saints deploy. More on that in just one moment. But we've seen Miami roll with just about everything in terms of DB usage this year. We've seen them go three corners the entire game, three safeties almost the entire game, and just about everything in between with six and seven defensive backs getting significant reps on this Dolphins defense. Here, with the Saints' propensity to run the football, and not even to mention what you can do on the outside with Xavier and Byron Jones, who are just playing as good as any corner tandem in the entire National Football League, do you just put them out there and say, go do your thing? I I might do that. One of the interesting things to look at here, the Saints' offense obviously changed when Hill entered the lineup, 
but you can see you can really see it in the average depth of target. Before Hill got to the lineup, Callaway was over 15 yards per target, or 15 yards average depth of target, I should say. That number has been around 10 yards since then. Same with Traquan Smith, a few yard dip from 12 down to nine. So what I'm getting at here is that Miami's zero look, I think could be an effective package. Just trust X and Byron to hold up on their own and you can really influence the way the Saints factor the running game. Now inside, they use three different tight ends with Troutman back off IR and he again factors into the running game. So you want to match that. But again, is it big nickel? If it is a straight base 3-4 or 4-3 look with different variations in terms of your odd even fronts? Do we see a Landon Roberts all game long with a healthy dose of Wilkins and Sealer and Davis up front? I'm so intrigued by what Flores and Boyer dial up in this game. Back to the tight ends, Nick Vanette, same deal. He's strong off the edge and factors into the quick game a little bit, but he's really more of a run game addition at this point. 12 targets in five games played this year. And then Jawan James is more of their move tight end, your F tight end. They'll utilize him in line, nasty split, slot, even out wide some but some some bits here and there. But this is a lunch pail type of game. Big boy game at every level, and it should be fun. Speaking of lunch pail, let's get to the real meat and potatoes. The Saints offensive line versus the Dolphins defensive line. And this is such a solid group, even with a pair of all pro tackles potentially on the shelf. I mean, they beat the defending champions without Ryan Ramchek and Teron Armstead. We'll monitor that this entire week, but if either one of them returns, it's a huge get for them. Again, they're all pros, but even still, they're still solid. James Hurst kicks out to tackle while Calvin Throckmorton, that's the all-time greatest offensive line name of all time, who was part of that beastie offensive line at Oregon, has kicked inside the guard and played pretty well inside. And then Jordan Mills, Started last week in place of Ramchek. We remember him. We had him back in camp in 2019, and he played for the Buffalo Bills against Cam Wake twice a year for a long time. That went to Wake most of the time. James Hurst, 25 pressures allowed, five sacks, five a combination of five hits and sacks. Uh, Caesar Ruiz, 26 pressures. Seven of those have been sacks and hits. Eric McCoy, just seven pressures all year long. Two of those are hits, no sacks. Throckmorton has the highest pressure number allowed, 27, but just six of those are hits and sacks, while Mills has four pressures, no hits or sacks in two games played, and 78 pass blocking snaps. So Mills, again, played tackle in Buffalo for a long time, and he matched up with Cameron Wake all the time, and the key just about every time that Wake got him was an upfield move, and then you get that momentum sliding too far into the backfield, use the upper body strength to swipe and discard him, and I think we could see more of that this week, hopefully with a guy like Emmanuel Ogba who has similar traits that way. McCoy is tough, man. He's the key to it all. He gets so much push. He gets out in space, doesn't really give way on the rush, and he communicates it all. He's a big, big part of what they do and a big challenge for our guys in the middle in this game. It's going to be vital for Miami to do something they've done really well all year and prevent movement and stack things up. This Saints offensive line, 310, 316, 309, 305, it's more of a move line than a power, like blow you off the ball type of line. So it kind of goes back to what I said about Miami's real stout run defenders this season and Sealer and Wilkins. Really need them to play their best ball in this game and help Miami get this big victory. And also Raekwon Davis, just play that role of the tree stump. That would also go a very long way. Before the next position group, a quick break. All right, let's come back and talk about the Saints running backs versus the Dolphins linebackers. And Alvin Kamara, for my money, is the best running back in the National Football League. Jonathan Taylor, really challenging that threshold. But what he does in every aspect of the game, he can beat you by himself. He's electric as a runner. He's a dangerous route runner. 
He's excellent in the red zone. He'll change the angle on you last minute. You have to locate number 41 every single play. They're 2-0 since he came back from the IR, and on 184 attempts, he has 480 yards after contact. That's an average of 2.61 per rush. He has 35 forced missed tackles this season, 13 10-plus yard runs. Tackle, tackle, tackle. He and Hill, you have to get them to the ground. If you can do it, I like our chances, but if you can't, not as much. We need to see the second half tackling for the full 60 minutes we saw last week, right? Like Tackle like you did in the first half last week, they're going to beat you, plain and simple. So with Kamara, it's a big week for Jerome Baker too, right? The whole group for sure. And what Alandon Roberts does B-gap to B-gap is certainly important. But matching up with Kamara when he flexes out, covering him on routes out of the backfield, the former might be more of a matchup where the latter could be more of Baker's responsibility. Either way, he needs to access that speed and do everything he can to keep pace with Kamara. He has 11 forced missed tackles since returning, and that's with just 11 attempts in the win over the Bucks, 38 in total. So getting him below the average of a forced missed tackle every third or so carry, something to keep an eye on there. Mark Ingram actually played just seven snaps fewer than Alvin Kamara last week, and he's going to get every yard that's blocked for him. He's a professional runner. He's a nifty pass receiver, especially in the screen game, and that pairs so well with the fact that he's a tremendous pass protector. No pressures allowed this season between Houston and New Orleans. So some of those sacks last week where you had Baker and Sealer running through the Jets running back, not going to be as easy this week. For the Saints offense, we talked about this earlier, 11 personnel is 48% of the time. The average is 60%. 12 personnel is 20%. The average is 21%. So right around league average there. But this is one of the most diverse teams in the league in terms of grouping standpoint. And most teams have those packages. They sprinkle in for a play or two here and there from the other packages. But the Saints run both 21 personnel, two backs or uh, two backs and one tight end, and 10 personnel, that's four receivers. Both of those are 8% of the time. Talk about dichotomy in terms of their personnel usage. Then they've got four more packages that they use at least 4% of the time this year. 22, which is two backs, two tight ends. 20 personnel, which is two backs, no tight ends. It's lots of heavy stuff that's only going to increase as they get more snaps under Taysom Hill and removed from the Jameis Winston offense. It's a lunch pail game. Again, when you play these guys, we talked about how nice it was to run the ball well on Sunday when they knew Duke was going to get the football. That's what the Saints do. They don't care if you know it's coming. They believe they can out-execute you, and then Sean Payton will attach some wrinkles and get the same plays from different looks. Look, it's a challenge. Almost happy we have the extra day to prepare for this offense because they are a lot to get ready for. On the other side, I think Miami's offense is a lot to get ready for in terms of the RPO game and the different looks they throw at you and the conflict they create and all those looks. The Dolphins quarterback versus the Saints safeties, but first, real quick, just kind of a nice little primer here. A nice test for Tua in the passing offense. This Saints defense is stingy. Sixth in points allowed, just 20.4 points per game. They have 19 takeaways. That's the same number as us, but they really do it in bunches. They have three games this year with three takeaways and three more with two takeaways. So multiple takeaways. If Miami can commit one or fewer turnovers, I like our chances. They've held opponents, six opponents rather, under 200 yards passing. And that includes the Packers. Opening day was weird. The Bucks and the Titans. And just a weird blip here, 402 yards of the Giants? What? Football's weird, isn't it? The Eagles went for 242 rushing yards against them, but the next highest was Dallas with a buck 46, and just five teams have eclipsed 100 yards on them. They also held the Patriots to 49 yards on the ground in a comfortable win in Foxborough back in October, and just 66 to the Titans, and that's post-Henry, but still, still a great total. 
their explosive rankings in terms of explosive runs and passes offensively and defensively. On offense, 29th in running, 21st in passing. But on defense, 4th fewest running plays explosive and the 10th fewest explosive passing plays allowed. Schematically, they play coverage, 22.2% blitz rate. That's 23rd in the National Football League. And while they're tied for second in quarterback knockdown rate at 11.4%, they're also middle of the pack in pressure rate and sacks. And that's why I think it would greatly behoove Miami to generate some explosive plays. Much like our defense, it's tough to work the ball all the way down the field against this defense. And there's certainly value to that in the field position battle, which will be very important in this game. But if you can hit some more explosive than the Saints offense can generate, that's a big key to me because holdings, you know, false starts, drop passes, missed, whatever the case may be, if you try to drive the whole field and you have a mistake, it's tough to overcome against this defense. So two was numbers this year against uh, not against teams that don't against looks where they don't blitz them, right? Kept clean. 76.4% on 216 attempts, a good sample size, 7.1 yards per pass. That's 1,535 yards, 11 touchdowns to two picks when he's kept clean. It's great numbers. When not blitzed, 71.2%, another good number. 212 attempts, so a good sample size, 7.8 yards per attempt at 1652, eight touchdowns and six picks. So all those numbers are great, except for that very last one, the interceptions. And you see that climb and yards per attempt makes sense, right? Fewer rushers means more time to scan and survey. And the way the Dolphins offensive lines played lately and the way Tua's kind of had some pockets to work with, and I think some of his errors have come from clean pockets where he didn't expect to have it that way, that might be a chance to get more vertical or at least more second-level throws on some of those crossers, those digs, those curls, and hopefully some slot fades like the one we saw to Isaiah Ford in the game. If the Saints show that cover one look, I like the idea of getting some more vertical options into the offense. So this position matchup, you know, between the Bills, the Pats, and now the Saints, Tua is seeing some of the NFL's best secondaries this season, particularly at the safety position. Marcus Williams has so much range, and that range allows them to, to buzz, play some buzz coverage, to rob, where you have the safety come down and rob the crossing route, because he can erase Marcus Williams, a lot of those potential matchup losses on the back end. Speaking of buzz coverage and the robber role, Few do it better than Malcolm Jenkins, not to mention how he factors in the running game. Keep an eye on him. He's a great player. And whatever the cause behind some of those off-target balls last week, it cannot happen again. These guys are going to capitalize on it. They're going to turn you over, and they'll put you in more situations where they can generate a takeaway than most teams do. So as far as the interceptions and pass breakups go, for Williams, 2-5. and five. For Jenkins, 1-4. and four. And for Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, 2-3. and three. But the ball hawking does not stop there. The Miami receivers and tight ends versus the Saints cornerbacks. Paulson Adebo, what a run he's had as a pro after coming out of Stanford, a highly billed prospect who winds up falling to the third round after potential first round whispers here and there. He's a smart and aggressive corner with great ball skills and recovery speed. He plays primarily on the outside. Can Miami get some size out there? He's a bit thin. Could Devontae Parker get some of those 50-50 balls on him? I'll keep an eye on that. But on the other side is all pro Marshawn Lattimore. 56% completion this year, 47 catches on 547 coverage snaps, but for 804 yards. So he's not giving up a whole lot, but when he does, it's vertical. Seven touchdowns and two picks this year, but 18 pass breakups. Damn, that's a lot. He does it all. 
Smooth transition in and out of his breaks. Good physical contester at every phase of the rep. He's coming off a three-game run where he was targeted 23 times. He allowed just 11 catches for a buck 16 and passer ratings of 33.3, 49.6, and 64.1. He plays the right corner and Adebo plays on the left. Then there's this guy, and I mentioned him in the safeties. If you followed me in the 2019 round to the draft, there were a few players I liked more than Chauncey Gardner-Johnson a world-class player and a world-class trash talker. Now, one area where he has struggled is in the tackling department, 17.5% missed tackle percentage. So with the Saints-based defense operating out of this nickel primarily, how does Miami, how do they adapt rather to Miami's league-high usage of 12 personnel offense? Could the Dolphins have some success with the run and just force them out of that package because you're basically going to say, hey, go take on Durham Smythe in the running game. That could be a big advantage for Miami if the Saints stay in that look. Could really help. But back to his coverage, he's feisty, he's crafty, he's springy, he finds the football, he'll make some splash plays, you just don't let it include the ball going over, like let him make his big hits and his big pass breakups, just don't let him jar the ball loose or create some some turnovers that way. I'm not going to look at last week's matchups because the Bucs were down Godwin, Brown, and Fournette, but going back, they played the Jets before that too, so let's go back to the Dallas game. Lattimore saw Michael Gallup for four targets, 26 yards allowed, and CeeDee Lamb for two targets, just three yards allowed. He's tough. Like I said, a lot of teams these days don't travel and he doesn't travel either. So choose wisely with who you put on him. Paulson Adebo covered Michael Gallup, Noah Brown, and Dalton Schultz in that game. Nobody had more than five yards. So you're going to have to work to get open against these guys. And they're deep here. Bradley Roby can play. So can PJ Williams, who's a primary slot guy. He held the Cowboys to 30 yards on seven targets. And real quick, the Bills game numbers Lattimore, three of five catches and targets for 33 yards. Adebo, four for four for 68. CJ, GJ did not play. PJ Williams, two for two, 15 yards. And then Bradley Roby was eight catches on nine targets for 88 yards. We move to the critical area of the field where the Saints just keep on getting better. The Saints defensive line versus Dolphins offensive line. Here's some pressure numbers and run stops from their uh, perimeter players up front. Cameron Jordan, 40 pressures, 31 run stops. All pro. Marcus Davenport, 30 pressures, 21 run stops. Very good player. Carl Granderson, 25 pressures, 13 run stops. Tano Passigno, 16 pressures, 14 run stops. Peyton Turner, 10 pressures and 10 run stops. Do you guys know who those players are? Do you see a theme there? It's not hard to spot. They are massive human beings. I actually thought Passigno and Turner were potential options this offseason in the draft and free agency for Miami because we like big ends as well. 287, 265, 261, 289, 270. I mean, they will cut down the edges. They will dent it. They will condense the formation. And it's tough when you can't win outside against them. Maybe you try to get wide on them, but either way, they are tough. The work has cut out this week for Jesse and Liam. And again, this could be a situation where that 12 personnel helps you where you can get help on those guys with tight end chips and running backs coming up and helping out as well. But inside, they're also tough. David Onyemata, 23 pressures and 9 run stops. Shai Tuttle, 6 pressures and 16 run stops. They'll kick other guys inside to play that role too, obviously. But this is a test for strength, toughness, and just pure grit because those guys are going to challenge us in all those departments. They made the Bucks' offensive line look bad last week. And that's the best offensive line in football. So you, you see this matchup and you think to yourself, that's their best unit. That's the Dolphins' offensive line. It's been a bit up and down in pass pro this year. But what if I told you this? We've been discussing the growing slash improvement of the offensive line for over a month now. 
What if I told you that after having the lowest pass blocking efficiency score in the NFL per next gen through the first 10 weeks at 78.5%, Miami is second, second in the league since week 11. That number has jumped 11.4% point or 11.4 points all the way up to 89.9. And then finally, we finish with the Dolphins running backs and the Saints linebackers. Philip Lindsay is back. Go watch his media if you have not done so yet. He's great as always. And coming off a Duke Johnson performance, can Miami maintain that rushing success? If so, that could open up the passing game and not to mention having a semblance of a running threat from the RPO, which prior to this last game has been all P and no R. Over 11 yards passing per attempt, less than three yards rushing per attempt. Think there might be something here for Miami to find a second wind in their offense and create more opportunities in the passing game and get more balance offensively. I'm very excited about what this offense might look like on Monday night as they maybe, hopefully, hit a second stride and find a second wind late in the season. But Duke in that game did so well to press gaps, set up some blocks, get what's blocked, and then some by shaking tackles with power out wide and the explosive first step he showed. He and Philip Lindsay and Miles Gaskin in the backs going to have their work cut out for them because Demario Davis is one of the very best in the league. We keep talking about great players at every level. They have them. 34 run stops, a billion tackles. He's excellent in coverage. He just does everything well. I'll be curious to see how Miami's motion and different ability to kind of change the picture will impact what his keys and his reads are. Can they get him to take false steps? It's tough to do. Next is Quan Alexander. He's been about the league the last couple of years. Just 26 run stops and an 18.2% missed tackle percentage. If uh, Davis has played 927 snaps, Alexander 449, so they take him off the field a lot. But they're really a defensive line slash defensive back centric defense like so many teams. And then also Pete Warner has 310 snaps and 22 run stops. I actually like his game a little bit more. He's a very smart and instinctive player. So for the Dolphins to find some success offensively will be challenging, but I think this could be a good week for them to kind of hit that second stride. As far as the special teams goes, DVOA, they're 15th, Miami's 26th. Brent Maher is their kicker. He's 8 for 9 with a long of 42. He's missed his only 50-plus yard attempt this year. That could be crucial in a game where you figure it might come down to a possession or two. I don't think it will, but if it does, that's big. In the punting game, 48.2 yards per punt from Blake Gillikin. And the return man is Aesop Winston. Go Cougs, baby! He has the most on the team with 7 returns after Deontay Harris was suspended. 7 punt returns, 92 yards, 13.1 average. He's very shifty. I know his game very well. The three keys to this game. But first, a quick break. All right, key number one for the Miami Dolphins. Force the Saints into passing situations by getting them into third down and long. That obviously starts with a running game on early downs. But if you can force them into third and longs and hem the quarterback in the pocket, that could go a long way towards a potential big defensive performance for the Miami Dolphins. Number two, limit the mistakes. Do not give the Saints offense any advantages by going by committing too many penalties by dropping passes by missing tackles by turning the football over if the Dolphins play a clean game offensively they should be able to win this game number three generate explosive plays on offense I think that's where the Saints can can get maybe be had a little bit I don't think you're going to line up and beat them on a down by down basis and have a lot of success that way but you generate some explosive which I think is coming off some of the looks we've had off the RPO in the running game that can go a long way towards a big Dolphins win the Dolphins will win this game if the defense stays hot and plays with the same intensity, if they can take out the run game and make life tough inside that 10-yard box for the Saints, that'll make them have to try to beat Miami by doing something that's been outside of their capacity this season by going up top. If they do that and they beat you, you tip the cap, obviously. The Saints will win if 
if they win in the small margins. Extra yards after contact from missed tackles, falling forward through tackles, turning third and fives into third and twos, winning the hidden yardage battle on special teams and committing fewer turnovers and penalties, those types of things. So that's my Dolphins and Saints preview. I like this game this week. I like Miami's chances in this game to get their seventh straight win. As far as the rest of the league goes, some big games around the National Football League. The Week 16 picks coming your way right now. We're cruising now, baby. 13-3 last week after a, what was it, 14-1 or 13-1 week the previous week. That's 155-68-1 with 48 more games to go. Checking in at 69.5%. I want to surpass 70%. Let's go. And we start on Thursday. This is a big game for Miami. Give me the 49ers over the Titans. The 49ers are hot. The Titans are not. Give me the, the road team there. The Packers over the Browns on, on Christmas. And the Cardinals over the Colts on Christmas as well. That's going to be a great game to watch. Give me the Falcons over the Lions. The Vikings over the Rams. I'll take the Jets over the Jags, the Bills over the Patriots in what's the biggest non-Dolphins game of the year for you Dolphins fans. Buffalo needs to win that game. Give me the Eagles over the Giants. I went back and forth on this one, but I'm taking the Ravens over the Bengals. I like Tyler Huntley's game a lot if he plays, and Lamar Jackson, if he comes back, great also. Give me the Chargers over the Texans, the Bucks over the Panthers. I'll take the Raiders over the Broncos. The Chiefs, even though Hill and Kelsey are on the COVID list right now, I hope I think they'll come back. I need Tyreek Hill for my fantasy league too, by the way. Over the Pittsburgh Steelers, the Seahawks over the Bears, the Cowboys over the WFT, and the Dolphins over the Saints. All right. No show on Friday this week, and the Monday show will be the recap version, so that'll be Tuesday morning. So this is the last time I'm going to talk to you guys until after Christmas, until after the Saints game. Hopefully, we're talking about your holiday going great, an 8-7 and seven mark for the Miami Dolphins, but in the meantime, that is going to be my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. You can follow me on Twitter at WingfieldNFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins across all socials. Check out the Fish Tank Podcast with Seth and OJ. Our YouTube channel for our media availabilities, Mic'd Up and Dolphins Today. And last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up.